Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Mark, and uh, you probably know that Trinity Galewood is part of a of a larger uh, church body uh, called Trinity, four different locations around the Chicago area, and uh, I get to be one of the pastors that moves around between those, so it's a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. I want to tell you two things about myself uh, right away. First of all, I had shoulder surgery two weeks ago, so that's why I'm wearing this dorky uh, sling thing today, so if I take it off, the doctor will be mad, so we're not going to do that, but, uh, but here's the second thing I want to tell you about me. I am kind of a video game nerd, okay? And I want to see if any of you are as well. Uh, do you want to uh, throw up uh, the uh, picture? Yeah. Anybody know what that is? Zelda. What? Zelda. It's from Zelda. You know what it's called? It's the lens of truth. There, see, there are some geeks just like me here in the room. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, this is uh, uh, a long time ago, many, many years ago, when the Zelda games were first coming out. I had a young son, and he and I spent hours and hours uh, playing the Zelda games together. At least that's my excuse. I probably would have done it whether I had a young son or not. But anyway, so one of the, one of the things that is in a number of the different Zelda games is this thing called the the lens of truth, or actually I think it is the eye of truth in one of the games. I think you're right. And, uh, and here's how this thing works. You'll be playing this game, and you, and you come into this room, and you start walking across what looks like a normal floor, and, but next thing you know, you've fallen into this pit, and you can't figure out why, because it's not there. It doesn't look like it's there. And then later on in the game, you find this thing, this lens of truth, and when you use the lens of truth, you go back to that spot, and all oh, you see that there was indeed a pit in the middle of the floor and there's enemies that you have to fight and things that you can't see without it. And in fact, there's a lot of different, uh, different places you go in the game where unless you have the lens of truth, there's like no way you can get through this stuff unless you're just lucky or by chance or something like that. You've, you've got to have this lens of truth because with it, you see things totally differently. Now, the reason I tell you that this morning is because in this last section of Colossians that we're studying together, um, Paul starts by giving you a lens of truth. He, He starts by giving you a way of looking at life that if you use this every day, you will see many things in your life differently. And, uh, and, and so I want to take a little time to go through that with you today. If you could go ahead and uh, go to that next slide. Paul says it this way. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, we need to have an eternal perspective. And when we have that eternal perspective, when we set our minds, when we set our hearts, when we set our eyes on the things that are above, this idea that we have a place in heaven that is secure, it helps us see everything else in our life differently. 
I remember back when I was in seventh grade, many, many years ago, I went to uh, St. Peter Lutheran School out in Schaumburg, Illinois. And uh, um, I had a best friend. He and I were very, very close. We had been close since fifth grade. And, uh, but something happened between the two of us, and now we were like at war with each other. We, we like hated each other. We wouldn't talk to each other. And it was starting to affect not only our relationship, but other relationships in the classroom. You know, people were kind of taking up sides. It was starting to affect uh, what was happening during class itself. And finally, our teacher, Mr. Hedke, decided he had to do something about that. And he sat the two of us down. And, uh, and he was like, look, we got to get this fixed. And so, so he did his best for about half an hour to get us to just set this aside, to forgive one another, to shake hands, to move on. But we were, we were stubborn. We had dug in our heels. We would not do it. And finally, I don't know if he planned this. I don't know if he had thought about this in advance or, or, or whether uh, this is just something that kind of came to him on the spur of the moment is in frustration. But he looked at the two of us and he said, you guys realize that after 2,000 years in heaven, you're not even gonna remember what you're mad about right now, right? And for some reason, that kind of clicked with us. We both kind of sat back and, and we're like, yeah, I, I, I guess that's probably true. Now, now here's the cool thing. I, I, I haven't, you haven't even got to heaven yet. I don't remember what it was we were arguing about. It didn't take 2,000 years of heaven. But, but that thing that he said to me has stuck with me all these years. And I cannot tell you how many times I easily, once a week, I'll be going through something or, or there'll be a problem I'm facing, whether it's a struggle at work or it's a, it's, it's a problem with our family or it's a relationship issue. And that phrase will come back to me and I will think to myself, 2,000 years of heaven, I'm not even going to remember this. Because that's the idea that Paul is talking about here. And, and, and I want to take just the rest of this uh, time that I have with you this morning to look at these, these next verses as we work through the rest of the way of the book of Colossians and, and kind of put a bow on it this morning. As we work through these next verses to end the book, um, and Paul is going to say six different things. He's going to talk about six different things that we should look at differently in our life because of that heavenly perspective. And by the way, if you use your Bible and your phone and you want to follow along, we're, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3. There are some Bibles in the little shelves under the seat in front of you if you want to grab one of those. And, and actually, if you use one of those, you go to page 1834. You don't even have to know where the reference is. You can find the page right away if you want to follow along. So, so Paul says we should have this heavenly perspective and, and because of that, he says, we're going to see some things differently. And the first thing he says we are going to see differently is he says we are going to see ourselves differently. If you have a heavenly perspective, you will see yourself differently. Starting in verse 5, he says this. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he's got a whole list of stuff you're not supposed to do. And then he ends this section, he, he says, instead, um, this is what you should do, you should, you should put on something else, you should behave in a different way, you should do some different things. Now, here's, here's the problem with that. At first glance, that section where Paul says, don't do this, but do this instead, kind of looks like the kind of bad idea people have about religion all the time, that religion is just about what you're not supposed to do and what you're supposed to do. Kind of sounds like Paul is just reinforcing that. Except right in the middle of that section, I don't know if you've noticed it when you looked at it, he says, he says this instead. He says there's something else. He says, 
in, this is verse 7, he says, you used to walk in those ways in the life you once lived. In other words, Paul talks about it as if you don't do that stuff anymore. So let me see a show of hands. Now, now that you're a Christian, how many of you never sin anymore? Now, let me get my hand down, right? And we all do, right? So what's Paul talking about? What's Paul talking about when he, he gives us this list of things? He says, don't do this stuff anymore if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've got this heavenly perspective, don't do this stuff anymore. And, and, and he says, but you really don't do that stuff anymore. Well, here's what Paul's talking about. Again, he's talking about that heavenly perspective. You know, there's another place in Paul's writings where he talks about this. He says that, that Jesus came to do this. He said, God made him, talk about Jesus, who knew no sin become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Paul's talking about this thing that happened when Jesus gave his life on the cross where, where Jesus took upon himself your sinful life and my sinful life. He, he willingly took that upon himself and in some way beyond our understanding, he gave us his perfect life. That is ours. That is yours and mine right now through Jesus Christ. And here's what that means. From a heavenly perspective, you don't do that stuff anymore. From a heavenly perspective, you don't sin anymore. Now, you and I know we do. We see it. Paul in Romans 7 said that. He said, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do. But here's the amazing thing. From a heavenly perspective, you are already the forgiven, loved, perfect child of God that he created you to be. When God looks down at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. When God looks down at you, there's nothing in your life that disappoints him. There's nothing in your life that, that makes him angry. There's nothing in, his, in your life that frustrates him because you are already forgiven. That is, a, that is an eternal reality that is yours right now through Jesus Christ. My first call as a pastor was St. Andrews in Park Ridge, and uh, um, I used to hear the kindergartners coming down for their chapel service, and they used to sing when they came down. And the, ones, the one uh, Wednesday, they're coming down for chapel, and they're singing, and they're singing, Jesus loves me, and they're singing that whole song, you know? And they get to this one verse, and I hear them sing this, Jesus loves me when I'm good, when I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes him sad. And I ran out of my office and I went, no! Kindergarten teacher was not real happy with me. As soon as I ran, I'm like, no, that's not the gospel. You don't make Jesus sad. There's nothing you can do to make him sad because he's already given you his perfect life. You're already a forgiven child of God. That is a present reality right now here in your life. And so Paul says when we have that eternal perspective, we see ourselves differently. We see ourselves the way God sees us, as his forgiven children. Then he goes on in the next section to talk about how we not only, when we have that heavenly perspective, see ourselves differently, but we see others differently too. He says this, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, see, he calls us holy there already. That's that heavenly perspective. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. 
And if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all in perfect unity. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. See, because we see ourselves differently, because we have this eternal perspective, it means we can see others differently as well. And that means one of the things that is the center of our relationship with other people is this concept of forgiveness. Yesterday, our, our whole staff got together from, from all four of our, our sites. And, uh, and one of the things we got together to do is plan next year's worship themes. So we're working on 2020 worship themes. And, and so one of the ways we do that is we just try to get as many ideas we can from everybody on staff on what we ought to be preaching about and what we ought to be teaching about. And so we divided up into a bunch of groups, three and four or five people at a time, and we just had them try to come up with their best ideas. And you know what? Four of the different groups came up with the same idea for a series for next year. And you know what it was? It was forgiveness. In other words, what they were saying is we got to learn about that more. we got to talk about that more. And I get that. I know why. Because forgiveness is hard, isn't it? It's hard when someone is, has hurt us to forgive them. It's, it's hard when someone has hurt us repeatedly to repeatedly forgive them. It's hard to be open and, and, and vulnerable when we know that there are going to be people that are going to take advantage of us. And it's really hard to forgive, and we say, you know, you're supposed to forgive and forget. Well, I, I can't forget. How do you forget the stuff that's been done to you? Well, we need that eternal perspective. And, and it's more than just after 2,000 years of heaven you won't remember, right? It's more than that. It's this understanding that because I've been forgiven, because as, as Paul says, because you know, forgive the way God has forgiven you, I know that my sin sent Jesus to the cross. And, and if God can still forgive me despite that, then it, it means that I need to do my best to hold on to that forgiveness so tightly that it gives me the ability to hold on to what others have done to me loosely. It, it, it gives me the ability be, to know that because I am forgiven, because God has, has given me that, that depth of forgiveness in my life, then I can hold on to what others have done against me loosely. And, and that I can let love be at the center of the relationship I have with others. And, and not just any old love, but that self-sacrificial, um, unconditional love that I've received from God. And because I can forgive and because I can love, then I can be at peace with other people. There's this verse I love in scripture. I think of it often. It says this, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And the reason I love that is because it acknowledges something. It acknowledges that there are going to be some people that no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to be at peace with them, right? They don't have that heavenly perspective. They don't understand that they're forgiven so they can forgive. And so there may be people that no matter what you do, it's just you're not going to be able to fix that relationship. But as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And then he goes on to say this. Be because we have this eternal perspective, we not only see ourselves differently, we not only see others differently, but we can see church differently. Let me ask you this. Why are you here this morning? 
Think about that for a second. Why did you come here this morning? Maybe some of you are here because uh, somebody else said, well, I'm going to church, come on with. And they kind of dragged you along. Good for them, right? Maybe if you're honest, you would say, well, the reason I'm at church is because I'm supposed to be, right? Later on today, uh, my mom and dad are going to call, and they're going to say, did you go to church this morning? And I want to be able to not lie and say, yes, that's, that's why I'm at church this morning. Or, uh, or, or maybe it's because you think, you know, God kind of keeps score. And, uh, and you can get away missing a few Sundays, but, but, but if, if, if you don't get enough of those Sundays, then God maybe will be disappointed in you, or maybe worst of all, maybe you won't get to heaven unless you go to church enough. I think sometimes we feel that way, right? There's this, there's this little voice in our head that says, you have to, you're supposed to. But Paul is saying that's not why we gather together at all. Because, in fact, you don't have to. You don't have to go to church to make God happy. Remember, you're already loved, you're already forgiven. No, Paul says, here's why we gather together. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks. No, we, we see church differently because church is all about learning and it's about praising and it's about thankfulness. It's all about response to what God has done in our lives, Paul says. By the way, I think, I think sometimes people don't understand this. When, when they, they see churches, they go to get something. But church is also a place where you give something. We learn from one another. We are blessed by being together with one another. Sometimes the best reason you could be a church is not for you, but because you're a church, what it does for someone else, someone who needed to see you there that week. Now, if we have an eternal perspective, when we gather together on Sunday morning, it's not out of duty. It's not out of um, uh, obligation. It's out of freedom to just be together with other people that, that see life the way we see it, that, that have that same eternal perspective we have and together with those people to be able to to give thanks to God and praise to God like that wonderful time of worship we had earlier this morning we see church differently when we have that eternal perspective and then this next section we got to make sure we're really careful with this next section because a lot of people really misunderstand this next section but Paul says when we have that eternal perspective it means we see our families differently we see our relationships differently how do you like this next section ladies wives submit to your husbands as fitting to the lord you like that part of scripture there well let's let's talk about that a little bit because you see, again, I think a lot of well-meaning Christians sometimes have taken this section. By the way, there's a, another section in Ephesians 5 where Paul even expands on this a little bit more. This idea about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives. There's a lot of well-meaning Christians that have taken that section kind of out of context. And, and they've created this kind of idea that the man is the head of the household according to God. And women, you better submit to your husbands. You better do whatever your husband says. And husbands, you're not off the hook. you got to love your wives. you got to love the little woman who's there to serve you, all right? That's baloney. 
That's not what God's word teaches at all. And in fact, we have to be really careful because we have this saying, we say scripture interprets scripture, right? Whenever we get to a hard part of scripture, we got to look at the whole context. We got to look at all that it has to say to make sure we understand it. And here's one thing that scripture teaches loudly and clearly throughout the whole of the book, that, that men and women, husbands and wives, partners in a relationship are all equal. There is no, I'm in charge you got to follow what I tell you to do. That's not in Scripture. And in fact, in Ephesians 5, where Paul says these same words, right before it, the very verse before it, Ephesians 5.20, Paul says this, submit to one another, both of you, out of respect for Christ. Now, by the way, it helps a little if we really understand the word submit here. Literally, a better translation would be respect. God's Word teaches us clearly that in relationships, in, 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 in marriages, that respect is crucial, that you have to respect each other. And he also teaches clearly in his word, by the way, that you have to love each other. It's not just the man's job to love. Both partners in a relationship are to love one another. We know that. So then why does Paul single out women for respect and men for love? Well, here's, here's what I believe. Men and women are equal, but we are different. We, we do see life differently. There was a book out a number of years ago, a secular book. It was called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, right? And it was, here was a secular author, not with a biblical perspective, certainly not an eternal perspective. But, but, but he could see it. He could see that, that men and women can be different. And, and so what Paul is doing here is he's helping men deal with the thing that maybe they struggle with and women deal with the thing that maybe they struggle with. Let me unpack that just a little bit more. Have you ever seen a, a group of guys together um, maybe out to eat or something like that? Would you say that they're, um, that they're all about love or they're all about respect? It's respect, isn't it, right? There, there's a lot of... There's a lot of uh, good-natured teasing and digs going on in human, but it's all about making sure that we know we respect each other here. Now, you see a group of women out together. Would you say it's all about respect or all about love? There's a lot of hugs and kissing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of love in the room, right? You see, what, what Paul is helping us understand here is because of the way we're built, men know they're loved when they see that they're respected, and women know that they're respected when they see that they're loved. In other words, men need to work hard in a relationship to make sure they are showing love to their spouse because they will very naturally show them respect. It's just kind of how men work. Women, on the other hand, it's the exact opposite. They, they just naturally show love to their partner. They got to work harder at showing respect. And so what Paul is talking about here is, is a, a couple relationship that is founded on both love and respect and with each person making sure that they're giving their spouse what they need to be fulfilled in that relationship. Again, that's an eternal perspective. It, it's, a, it's a perspective that says, I don't have to worry about getting my needs met in this relationship because I'm here to meet your needs. And if you're here to meet mine, then I'm not, I don't have to worry about it. It's going to be taken care of. Notice Paul doesn't just limit it to the, to the husband-wife relationship, though. He, he talks about how children, you should obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. I know there are a few of you in the room right now wishing the kids in there were here to hear that, right? You know. 
And this too, he says, fathers, and we could have fathers and mothers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Again, it's a picture of what family life is like if we have an eternal perspective. Now, the next section, I'm going to kind of skip over pretty quickly because as, as Pastor Dave said before, starting next week, you're going to be doing a whole series on this. But, but the fact is, Paul spends a little time here talking about the fact that, that when we have an eternal perspective, we look at our work differently. Now, specifically, he talks about here the relationships between slaves and masters. And, and by the way, a couple things about that. First of all, Paul's not in any way endorsing slavery. That's, that's not what's going on here. Uh, first of all, the slavery he's talking about in his day was very different than the slavery that we have as a black mark in our history as a country. He's talking about more of an indentured servanthood kind of way of, of paying off debts that was at work in, in his world. He's, but he's talking about a very common working relationship. And he says we see that differently if we have that eternal perspective. And again, um, we're going to kind of skip over that because you're going to spend a lot of time these next few weeks looking at what it means to be a, a Christian in a work environment and how being a Christian affects how we work as we work for the Lord. But but, but the last one I'm going to look at with you here is this next section that starts in chapter 4 where Paul says this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door to our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that may know how to answer everyone. In this last section here, this last section of the book that we're going to look at together, Paul is talking about how our eternal perspective affects how we see people who are far from God in our lives. Let me ask you this. How many of you know someone who's far from God? I think we probably all do, right? I hope we all do. I hope we all know people who don't know Jesus, who are far from God in their lives, who, who, who may even call themselves atheists or, or, or nuns, say, I don't, I don't have a religion. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in God. Paul says our eternal perspective should change the way we see our relationships with those people. And, and, and first of all, here's why that's so important. We were driving on the expressway the other day, and there was a sign-up for an Amber Alert. You know what that is, right? An Amber Alert is like when there's a missing kid, when, when there's a kid that's been, been kidnapped or, or, or is missing. And, and, and that sign is up there because what's supposed to happen is all of us are supposed to just kind of drop whatever we're doing and start watching, right? We're supposed to be alert. We're supposed to do anything we can to try to help because that missing kid is important, and we want to help find that kid. I was talking to a friend of mine, he's a pastor down in San Antonio, and they, they, they just got done with their big vacation Bible school that they do every summer. They, they have like 500 kids on their campus, and uh, inevitably, you know, a kid will go missing. He'll, you know, go to the bathroom when he wasn't supposed to, and now the teacher doesn't know where he is or something like that. So they don't call it an Amber Alert. On the radios, they say, Pastor White. We have a Pastor White. I said, why do you call it Pastor White? He goes, I have no idea. We've just always called it that. But that's the, that's the key to the volunteers, that there's a missing kid. Drop everything. we got to find that missing kid. Well, think about this. Those people that you were thinking about a minute ago when I said, do you know someone who's far from God? They're one of God's children, and they're missing. 
And, uh, and it's like God has called an amber alert for us, right? It's our job to do whatever we can to help those people get connected back with their God. But here's the problem. Do you know what those people, people who are far from God, when you ask them to describe Christians, do you know what the number one word they use is? Judgmental. Wow. The number one impression people who are not believers have about you and me as Christians is that we're judgmental. And who knows, maybe there's some folks in the room today that aren't sure what they believe about Jesus. You're sitting there and you had to really work hard not to shake your head yes. Paul says it should be different. Look at what he says. He says, let your conversation always be full of grace. That's the exact opposite of being judgmental, isn't it? Being gracious means that that there's nothing you can say or do that is going to make me not care about you. There's there's nothing you can say or do that would make me turn away from you, that that I'm going to give you unconditional love. That's, That's the way God treats us, right? That's what his grace for us is all about. But all too often, I think we as Christians feel like we have to lead with truth, you know, there's this verse in, in John. It's talking about how Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and it says that he was full of, anybody remember what the words are? Full of grace and truth. Jesus certainly came bringing truth. But what did he come bringing first? Grace. And then two verses later, it says, and from him we have received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Folks, if we have an eternal perspective, it means that we are going to see people who are far from God differently, and we are going to see them, and we are going to treat them with love and with grace. So uh, I'm a Cub fan, and uh, that means 2016 was the best year of my life. Uh, literally, that means the day, game seven of the World Series was the best sporting event in the history of sports for me, Right? And uh, here's what I do every once in a while, especially lately, because it doesn't look like it's going to happen again this year. But uh, uh, every once in a while, I will get out game seven and I will just watch it again from the beginning, the whole thing. I just watch it every pitch. I just sit there and watch it, right? And in the eighth inning, when Rajay Davis hits that home run to tie the game, it still hurts a little bit, but not that much. The first time it happened, it ripped my heart out, Right? because I didn't know how the game was going to end. But now when I see it, I know how the game ends. Now, I will admit, as a Cub fan, there's this little fear inside of me that I'll watch the rest of the tape, and somehow I'm remembering wrong, and we did lose that game, right? Kind of 60 years of being a Cub fan. But, uh, but I know how it ends. Folks, that's what Paul is saying. As he ends this section of Roman, I mean of uh, Colossians, as he kind of recenters us in Jesus, he says, "You know how it ends. I don't know what you're going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Maybe your life's going awesome, and and uh, and, and you're you're thinking, yeah, heaven's not going to be too much better than this. Heaven's going to be a lateral step from where I'm at right now in life. Okay, but maybe not." And you've got some stuff going on in your life, and it's ripping your heart out. We know how it ends, folks. It ends in heaven. You 
are seated at the right hand of God, it says. That's a reality now for us. We will live forever. So there's nothing in this life that we can't see differently because of that. Paul said it this way, we are now more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, please give us that eternal perspective. Let us see things through your lens of truth so that we would see the pitfalls and the struggles of everyday life clearly, but know that they have no power over us. That that we can see ourselves differently. We can see the people around us differently. We can see our work differently. We can see our families differently. We can see worship and going to church differently. We can, we can see those who are far from you differently, all because of what you have done for us, that we have a place in heaven for sure. Lord, remind us regularly that after 2,000 years of heaven, a lot of the stuff that bothers us now will just be light and momentary troubles far in our past. In your name we pray. Amen.